Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Jeff, I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. All right, hey, I am going to try to get Chris on here as well. Give me just All a right. second. I don't know why I can't see you. There's something to see. Let me see if I... If I need to click something, did I click something there? Can you there see me now? Go. Gotcha. All right, hey, I'm going to get Chris on. says Chris is not online right now. Give me just a second. He just messaged me. And that'll give me a chance to uh, put the link onto Twitter and Facebook for people to get on there as well. Can you hear me, Jeff? Are you there, Jeff? Are you muted? Hey, are you there? I'm I'm here. Okay, I don't know what happened there. I might have. Yeah. You put me on hold. I think that's all, that's all right. Oh, sorry about that. No, no problem. Okay, I'm gonna put the link up here. Let me try Chris one more time while I'm doing that. Okay. sure why it's not connecting with Chris. Let me try that one more time. Um, it, it puts you on hold whenever I make a call. So no. Let's try to add Chris here and see if this okay. works this time.
has a different name. I think we might have got it here. Okay. There he is. Hey, we got it. Yes, hey, sir. Chris. What's going on? How you doing? Good. How you doing, yeah. Chris? You? Doing great. Let me change my settings here. Now, we don't have Chris on YouTube yet. Oh, it's not on yet? Oh, is it delayed? Or... I, Josh, I see you and me on YouTube, but not Chris. Oh, okay. Let me see if I can. You might need to click on my. Uh, do what you did to. Ah. I see. I see you figured out how to do the split screen. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Good job, man. Wait, man, I was so proud about that. <laughs> see, so my was problem I... was I was trying. Um, I couldn't figure out that I had to. Um, I was trying to share the screen rather than go to the video source. So, yeah, right. that was not working out no, so good. No, I struggled to learn it, too. And then somebody was like, just do this. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. All right. So I think we can see everybody now. But perfect. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do our intro. Um, I've got an introduction for this page. And then we'll uh, do introductions with everybody and go from there. Sounds good. Today, make sure today that you leave this place knowing that you are. Oh, I got to add Chris in there. <laughs> Saved to the glory of God. That one I'm going to choose. If you believe that, friends, you don't know the gospel. Can I question your doctrine without any strife? Say yes, say yes, because I need to know. The point is that the wonder of the cross is that no one gets injustice. If you, if you end up under the wrath of God, it is because you've rejected his provision for you and you are justly punished for your sins. If you end up in heaven, it's not because I earned that, but because God's wrath has been propitiated, his law has been fulfilled in my substance. I think to what the scriptures teach. I think the Bible does teach that God desires the salvation of all men, that he has provided uh, for uh, the, the salvation of all men. And therefore, anyone who, who ends up under the wrath of God, it is because they have rejected his provision for them and they are justly punished for their sins. All right, let me switch back over here to this thing so we can see everybody a little better. And um, so kind of I want to go through uh, what the format is going to be for the debate, and then we'll introduce who all we've got here. My name is Josh Gibbs. Uh, this page is called Making the Hedge. It's based out of the book of Ezekiel where God is searching for a man to make up the hedge. And uh, so I wanted to kind of uh, incorporate that into the theme of what this, basically what I want this channel to be about, is uh, what what's important to take a stand for in Christianity. 
And I think that all three of the guys that are on this video right now would would arguably say that we're 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 taking a stand for what we believe to be true. And uh, when it comes to what we're trying to do tonight, um, we're obviously going to be debating uh, in a, in a, a structured format that that'll give some order to the subject of free will. And uh, um, specific uh, free will has got. It's, it's a pretty broad term overall. So we've narrowed it down to um, what is the ability of a man to freely respond to the gospel within the nature that God has given him. Um, and so I will, let me put the format up here uh, just so everyone who's watching can see. Um, I don't want to cover Chris's face, we'll put it over here. So we've got uh, 10 minutes for the affirmative. This means that I will be supporting um, the stance that man does have free will enough to respond to the gospel prior to regeneration. And Chris will take the negative, which simply means that he's going to take the stance that man does not have uh, a free will prior to his nature being changed in order to respond to the gospel. I know that that is very specific. There's a lot of words in there to make it complicated. Um, but then we'll go into our rebuttal period which I'll have an eight-minute rebuttal simply to respond to uh, the negative stance um, that Chris will take uh, regarding free will. Then Chris will have an eight-minute rebuttal as well where he can address my rebuttal as well as my affirmative and uh, anything that he wants to do there. So that'll transition to a 12-minute cross-examination of each of us. And then five-minute closings. One thing I don't have in here on this actual screenshot is um, um, we've decided that for those of you who are watching, if you would like to, uh, you can participate. Um, that I'm, I'm pretty new with this program. I know that there's a way that you can actually see the comments from uh, the viewers. Um, Chris, you might have to help me with that whenever that yeah, comes uh, to that point. If, yeah, you'll be able to like drag it onto the screen when that time comes. Uh, you'll be able to click their comment. So okay. it's, that's pretty simple. You'll, you'll be able to see that. Um, with that said, dude, I have got to thank you for recommending this to me because um, this is possible because of Chris. Chris uh, introduced me to this. If you've got a Mac, I'm a Mac guy. I love Macs. Um, I've got every Apple product you can think of other than those new AirBud things. I need to get those. But um, this program, it's called Ecamm, E-C-A-M-M. Shout out to that pro. It's 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 actually it's pretty cheap, seventy nine bucks. Uh, a lot of the other programs that I was looking at were at least four hundred dollars. So yeah, and some of them are monthly, and there's never no you reach the goal limit. It's yeah. just that I think this is awesome program it's, too. It's good. Oh, and by the way, um, I don't know if you guys can see it or not, but there's a logo on here, and my wife. So I showed her the other night. I was like, look at this. I'm so proud of this, and I. I didn't use her, and she actually is a, uh, she was in graphic design, that's what she went to college for. She looked at it and goes, that's terrible. I mean, you, <laughs> you should have had me work on it. So I can appreciate her for that. I might have to see if I can get her involved in making that look a little more, <laughs> a little more professional. So Humble beginnings, bro. That's right, that's right. <laughs> so, all right, so we've discussed who I am. Uh, Jeff Passage, you're in the middle. Um, he's going to be our moderator tonight. Let me explain to you guys who are watching what his job is going to be. It's really simple. He's to line me and Chris out and keep us in line. 
uh, whenever we whenever we get out of uh, subject, if we're you know it, off topic, reel us back in. And say, all right, that's good stuff. But here, let's bring it back to what we're we're supposed to be talking about, as well as keeping track of time. And yeah. so, Jeff, with that said, um, is there anything that you wanted to add to this and kind of lay out what your strategy is for keeping us in line? Oh, I'll, I'll keep you in line. I, th I think the nice thing is uh, both of you are very engaging uh, individuals uh, with a heart for God. And uh, so even though we might disagree on a few theological points, uh, we know we can keep it civil. Uh, Chris, I know from engaging with you uh, on Twitter, you're very, very engaging. And uh, so that's so uh, I just I appreciate being here as a moderator and uh, if, if uh, we're ready to go, uh, Josh, I'll start the clock for you. You got ten minutes. Well, give I'll give just one a second. I want to. I'd like to do an intro with Chris. Chris. Yeah. Um, so you and I started engaging. I don't know what about a year or so ago, maybe less than that. Um, I've I've got to say, man, I really appreciate um, your tenacity with what you believe because it's honestly it's made me better. Um, I was just telling my wife earlier. I mean. One of the greatest things that I've, I, I feel that I've done in my Christian growth is engage with someone who, who believes differently than I do, and you, um, you're a pretty good testimony of that because you engage with people that believe a lot of different things when it comes to your presence online. I mean, I, I really appreciate what you're doing with your uh, ministry and debating Catholics and uh, uh, Mormons. I watched that the Hebrew Israelite um, debate the other day. By the way, man, it takes a special person to do that. Um, so I've got to say, dude, hats off to you. That was that was really good. So, but do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, man, I uh, definitely believe that it's important to have our our presuppositions and traditions challenged. Uh, my my position is the only way we're going to arrive at truth is if we if we do things like this. And I I I likewise appreciate you for even. Um, stepping in um, and wanting even to have that dialogue. So just thankful to, to have this uh, debate with you. That's good, man. I appreciate it. So uh, with that said, yeah, we'll go ahead and get rolling here. Oh, by the way, I didn't say it. All I'm right, gonna, I'll give you I'll try not to go down too many rap shows. Jeff is on Eastern Standard Time. Yeah. So it's really late for you. Thank you, Jeff, for doing this again. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So uh, I'll give you a one-minute warning uh, when, when before time's up, okay? So let me – you ready, Josh? Yes, sir. I'm ready. Go. All right. So first off, I'd like to thank you guys again. Thank you, Chris, for accepting the invitation to debate this infamous subject on free will. Thanks again, Jeff, for moderating this uh, debate and for your time and the discussion we had in last week's discussion. Uh, we got to know each other a little bit, and I really appreciate that. That was good. Hopefully, we can build on that and maybe do some more stuff in the future. Uh, as well as with Chris, maybe we can do uh, something in the future as well with having a discussion online. So I'd like to begin by quoting Erasmus in response to Martin Luther's The Bondage of the Will. Erasmus says here, he says, if you think the matter of free will is not necessary to be known, nor at all concerned with Christ, you speak honestly, but think wickedly. But if you think it's necessary, you speak wickedly and think rightly. And if so, then there's no room for you to complain and exaggerate so much concerning useless assertions and contentions. For what have they to do with the nature of the cause? 
Luther took the stance that free will was just as ambiguous and mysterious as the Trinity itself within the Bible. Erasmus, he wrote a response explaining that the Christian has the mysteries revealed to them within the scriptures as the very mind of God opening the understanding of the Christian as his heart is open to receive it. He goes on to explain the importance of recognizing that the mysteriousness of the Trinity within the word is not something we should write off as ambiguous or unknowable, but that we, it should be taught as doctrine which is profitable for instruction. And uh, I take the same stance when it comes to free will. I don't believe that free will is something that's ambiguous and mysterious and something that we cannot understand when it comes to the nature of man and his ability to respond or reject the gospel prior to regeneration. I believe that every man has uh, an invitation with outstretched arms of Jesus Christ ready to receive him, and it's up to that man within his will to believe and receive that gospel. Now, re regarding my position, I've already stated I've taken, I've taken uh, the affirmative. Uh, what this means to me, to simplify it, is that God is not the cause regarding sin, or rather absolute determinism or fatalism when it comes to the gospel. It's a very poor choice to stand on, I believe, in equating God as the cause of all of man's choices. Number one, God's not responsible for the destructive choices of man, including the fall of man in the garden, all the way to the Holocaust, to rape, to molestation, to adultery, pornography, abortion, false religions, and cults, and etc. I don't believe that God is responsible for those things. I, I do believe that these are man's choices, that God played no part in determining those men to sin, and neither in their nature nor in their will. Now, let me be more specific. In, the, in regard to the salvific position of the free will of man, I believe that God gave men freedom to choose salvation or to reject it, starting all the way back in the Garden of Eden. I believe that the sovereign choice of God was to give man a choice in this matter, and this is the foundation by which one can observe throughout the entire history of man that God has dispensed his salvation with a genuine offer to receive or reject that gospel. If there's no ability to accept it or reject it, it's not genuine, and therefore it would be disingenuous to say otherwise. This argument is something that really comes down to a perspective regarding three things, and I'm going to address these three things, and then I'm going to give Chris uh, some ammo to what I'm, the positions I'm going to take in actual scripture regarding free will. The first is absolute determinism. I just addressed this, and I've got to say, that at the end of the day, with absolute determinism, you attribute the workings of the God of this world, which would be the devil, Satan, Lucifer, that cherub, uh, all, all the names of the devil himself regarding his work in the hearts of men, and we attribute that to God himself and say that God is responsible for these things. I reject that. With regard to the salvific side of free will, I believe that belief and faith precedes regeneration. If it didn't, we, couldn't, we could have the position that your nature was changed in order to believe. There's many problems with this, which perhaps some other time we could debate that regeneration prior to faith or not. And the third point would be, free will is not a man-centered theology that takes the glory away from God, nor does it dethrone God within his sovereign will. Rather, it prevents God from being limited in the view that he is only able to do what he is capable of doing, and not what he desires to do. 
That is, let me put it a little more simply. God could choose to give men a genuine choice without an invasion of the Spirit prior to any belief. On that same note, we go into total inability, uh, which would be lingering in the vicinity of that discussion. Uh, perhaps that's something that we can talk about as well in the future, but I would say on these grounds I reject the notion the will of the sinner is totally and completely dead, for if it were, if it were, it's never seen life, it has no ability nor responsibility in a response to the Creator. I would say that that's very important when we're trying to say that that, that the, will of the, the, uh, the will of man prior to regeneration is able to sin if that will is completely dead. So I take the approach that, uh, that the, the sinner has a responsibility to respond to the Creator or not. And when it comes to this illustrated in the Bible, um, I, would, I would take the approach that the prodigal was a picture of depravity and Lazarus was a picture of resurrection. I would say that to confuse the two is to conflate salvation with glorification. The one doesn't happen without the other, but the other, glorification, that is, it doesn't occur until after your body goes into the ground, much like Lazarus. He was alive spiritually, he died physically, and not the other way around. So finally, the gospel is absolutely a display of the power of God, persuading men to come reason and choose Jesus as their Savior. Alright, so there's my position laid out. Now let me give some references for this position. I do believe there are limitations to our free will. I believe that you cannot choose your race, gender, environment, social status, genetics, and other, th other things of the like. Um, and I would say that's kind of like a leopard changing his spots. Those are things that he cannot do. The real problem with humanity is the curse of sin uh, in this temporal body. I'd say that what we need is, uh, is, is a body that can live forever. But the only way that we can do that is to get eternal life through Jesus Christ. I would say that we do have a genuine ability to actually seek the Lord. In fact, this exact phrase, seek the Lord, it shows up 27 times in the Bible, and every time it either references a lost person or it references the saved regarding their ability to seek God and find him or not find him. So there's ability, genuine ability, for a lost man to find God by seeking God. There's genuine ability for a saved man to restore fellowship with God by seeking God. Free will is another one of these terms that is, in fact, a Bible term. It shows up 37 times in the Bible, and every time it's associated with a sacrifice. Until the final time that it's mentioned, and it has to do with service after salvation. This tells me that, once again, you have a choice before and after salvation to believe and then to serve. So we said earlier that it all starts in a garden. This garden would be the garden that Adam and Eve were in. I believe that they actually did have a genuine choice to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or to eat of the tree of eternal life. The first choice, it started there with the Lord Jesus Christ present in his pre-existent eternal nature. He was in the midst of the garden. And there he is again in the garden. The last time it's mentioned in Revelation 21, and guess what he's doing? He's giving men a genuine choice to come to him. To my friends that are listening right now, I would tell you that in between the first garden mentioned and that last garden mentioned, from every page in between, God is calling sinners to himself, and he's doing it with a genuine offer of salvation for you to come to Jesus. From the first garden to the last, he's pouring out his love on you to give you that choice to choose one him. One minute. I have one minute, or is that time?
One minute. Okay. Lucifer, he had a genuine choice to serve God or to allow the, the five I wills to take over and for God to find iniquity in his heart. A third of the angels will leave with him in Revelation 12 through a genuine choice. The fifth cherub left his throne in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Noah actually found grace in Genesis 6-4. It does not say that grace found Noah. This tells me God gave Noah a conscience and an ability to seek after the one true God. Abraham could have chosen not to leave the Urchaldee, but he did. And he started walking in Genesis 13 through 15. Genesis 28, Jacob had a choice and wanted the blessing so bad he was willing to lie and deceive his brother and father to get it. And he chose, he freely chose those things independent of God programming in a way that he could not do otherwise. Esau, the infamous Esau, I'll end with this one and then we'll turn it over to Chris. Esau had a choice to bring the right offering to God and he didn't the first time. Last time. All right. We'll wrap okay. it up. Whenever you're ready. Ready, Chris? Oh, sorry, I had it on mute. Sorry. Yes, okay. ready. All right, go. All right, so I will, I'll lay out my position. My position is that men do not have the autonomous free will choice to choose God. Men choose according to their nature. Um, I do affirm choice, and so I, I want to lay that out. And I do believe men do respond to the gospel. It's just they will always respond negatively, not positively, to the gospel unless God opens their hearts. We can see that in multiple places, but I want to first show the nature of man and the ability. I want to remind everyone the topic of that. Uh, the debate is that topic. It's about the man, free, man's free will and thus their ability to do according to that. This is some, nothing new. Um, in scripture, you, we see in Genesis 6, 5, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and every and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Here we see man's heart is evil. The thoughts that come, therefore, the actions will flow from this evil heart. Ecclesiastes 9, 3 says a similar thing. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of man are full of evil. And insanity is in, in their hearts throughout their lives. We know that the, the actions of man come from the heart. And so if the heart is evil, so will the actions. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is dis desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here we see that we're so evil that we don't even understand our depravity. Our depravity is so, so immense um, that we don't even understand how wicked we truly are. Um, it was just quoted about, you know, can the leopard change his spots? I, actually, I want to read all that in Jeremiah 13, 23. Um, can the Ethiopian change his skin or leopard his spots? The next phrase says, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. So the, just as the leopard or, or the Ethiopian can't change their exterior, then neither you who are evil can do good. So there, the free man, free free will of man seems to oh, he can only do e evil, and so that there's man's ability even from the Old Testament. Going into the New Testament, we see uh, from Romans three ten. I won't read through all of eighteen, but you want to see the nature of man. Paul Paul lays it out. Um, he says that is as it is written. This is speaking of Jew and Gentile, the the unregenerate person. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. 
There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good. Not even one. I, I love the preacher's uh, text when I'm going out uh, doing evangelism. But just to show man's nature. Man's nature is they will never come to God. They will never seek God unless God is the one who opens their hearts. So man's free will will never cause them to seek God. He needs something something more than his will. He needs God's will. He needs God's spirit to open up his heart and to cause a change in him. In the same letter in Romans 8 and 5, uh, 5 and 6, it says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of this flesh. So the, so the unregenerate person, mind is always set on the flesh, right? Those are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. See, the natural man, it's not that he just sees a better decision and he wants to see do sin. It's a little better. No, he hates God. He loves his sin and he hates God. The next phrase says, for it, speaking of the flesh, the flesh does not subject itself to the law of God. Watch this. For it is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They don't have the ability to do it. They don't have the ability to subject themselves to the law of God. So how can a man who doesn't have the ability to love God of his will, of his self, do it on his own will, by his will, so to speak. This does not sound like a will that is free. As a matter of fact, this isn't something, this is something that I would say Paul got from Jesus in John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So here's, here's your will. It's enslaved. It's not free. It is enslaved to sin. Everyone born into this world is a slave to sin. And that's and that's the condition of, of man. With the remaining time, I would like to spend a lot of my focus on John 6 um, and show just the consistency. Uh, this will be the majority of the text. There's numerous texts I can go to and spend my time. But I would like to read through John 6, uh, 35 through 44 particularly. Let me note out a couple things. Um, hold on a second. Let me pull up my notes here. Uh, Jesus is explaining the unbelief of the crowd. Uh, verse 36, he says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So the rest of this conversation is a ex ex exposition on that. He's explaining why they're not believing. Next verse, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Notice that the giving of the Father is why people come. Well, th that is the sequential order. All that the Father gives me will come. So the coming is, is a product of being given to the Father. Verse 38, for I have come down from my heaven. Sorry, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all he has given me, I will lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. So, so, so we see that the, the father being given to the father is why people come. Also, we see that Jesus accomplishes this will. He does it, right? 
verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. And so that is the product of it that, that, you know, it produces this belief in us and, and, you know, we're granted eternal life, which I know my opponent doesn't disagree with. Right. Um, so going on verses 41, 41 through 43, the Jews are grumbling. I, I'm not the time to read that because I really want to focus on the latter half of that uh, or, or focus on verse 44. But I'm sure my opponent will in this debate will, di will agree that the Jews are grumbling at his at Jesus exhausting his authority over salvation, and he is the author of eternal life. Um, and they, uh, just to read verse 44, Jesus is, or 43, Jesus says, do not grumble among yourselves. They have been grumbling inwardly. Um, and, and if you read through the last of uh, uh, the chapter, you'll see them still continuing this grumbling. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless... Praise God for that. Praise God that he, he puts in the unless, unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him, same person, up on the last day. So the ability of man is, in, in the Greek, ude dunatai. No one can come. No one has the ability. No one has the power to come to me. So that's man's state. <laughs> man would never come to God unless the father who sent Christ drew them, drew that person. And that same person who is drawn will be raised up on the last day. And so there's a, a cohesiveness and a unity in this. And that if though we're not debating um, irresistible grace, that if the father has drawn you, then you will be raised up on the last day. But I, I, I go here to show man's ability. No one can come, but synergistic systems, man's religion, want to import. Some people can come. Some can. Some have, or some will say, all, no, all, all, all have this ability to come. But, but Jesus is, is explicit. Jesus has explicitly said, no one has that ability. No one has it. That's why it's the necessity of the triune God accomplishing salvation. You must be drawn by the Father. You must be atoned for of Christ's sins. And you must, the Spirit must seal that. Salvation is Trinitarian. And, and, and the triune God will accomplish his plan and his purposes. I do look forward to the rebuttal section and the cross-examination. Thank you. Okay, Josh. Eight minutes for your rebuttal. Okay. Ready? I think so. I'm, I'm trying to get all my references here. Um, let me see if I can pull them up on the screen. Okay. Can you guys see that? Don't see anything yet. Okay, it's showing yeah, up on my screen, so. All right, okay. yeah, I'm ready when you are. All right, ready. All right. Um, so I would like to, well, I just went into my notes. I didn't mean to do that. 
Okay, so I would like to uh, make sure that in this rebuttal, I'm going to address only the things that Chris brought up. So, um, one thing that I would note is uh, the very first thing that Chris said was that um, that he does believe man has an ability, uh, that within this ability, um, he believes that it's limited to the nature um, of what this, uh, it's limited to what this, the nature of this, this person is able to do. So more or less what, what that means is, um, and, and he went on to elaborate that, that, that in Genesis six, five, for example, he says, God, God saw the wickedness of man. It was greater in the earth and every imagination and the thoughts of the heart. It was only evil continually. And uh, in the very next verse, it goes on to say, It repented the Lord, he made man on the earth. It grieved him at his heart. He said, I will destroy man whom I have created uh, from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and uh, the fowls of the air. It repenteth me that I have made them. So I would, I would say that when it comes to this, it, you're, you're reading into the text that it was within the nature that they had that God chose not to change that nature if you're going to be consistent with it, that, that God chose not to change that nature, that they would only sin and grow worse and grow worse and continue to sin, and they would only do what they were able to do within that nature. So God decided to wipe them all out. What I, what I would say in response to that is the text does not say anything about the nature of man. All it says is that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. It doesn't say anything about the ability of man to respond to the gospel. It doesn't say anything about the ability of man uh, to respond to what God was doing at that time in regard to um, even the preaching of what Noah was doing. Um, so Noah was a, a preacher of righteousness, and uh, he, he was that's exactly what he was doing. And, and obviously only eight people got on that boat. But, but to say that God only gave the ability for Noah and his family to get on that boat is, is such a, a, a travesty to me because when you look at the typology of, of, of um, Genesis 6-5, when you look at Genesis 6 and what Noah's doing here, and we look at the size of the boat, and we look at that and say, well, that ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. I would, I would say that, that that boat would have been able to hold anyone who wanted to get on that boat. And I would also say that Jesus Christ is able to save anyone who comes to Christ. There's no limit to the atonement of Jesus Christ. I would say that the atonement is absolutely unlimited. The people who limit the atonement are the people who choose not to believe Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. So if I'm looking purely at the typology, and I'm looking purely at the text, and I'm, I'm comparing these things to what it is to Jesus Christ, I would say it doesn't say anything about the ability. I would say there was a boat made, and it had a destination, and anybody who wanted to get on that boat could. And it's the same way in your own life. You have a choice to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's the boat going to heaven. If you want to get there, get on the boat. You've got Noah preaching righteousness to preaching righteousness to you. Here's how you get saved. You believe the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. That's the gospel according to the scriptures. If you believe that and you apply that to your own personal heart, that the sin in your own heart is as wicked as it can be, that you need a savior, and there's a consequence for that sin, that just as many of these people who died in their sin 
in 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 the floods of Noah, so you would so you would in the eternal lake of fire. You don't have to do that. The alternative is get on the boat, get in Jesus Christ. The other one was Ecclesiastes nine three, um, and he talks about Jeremiah thirteen twenty three with the leopard not changing his spots. But again, I I used that to compare some things that that the will of man cannot change, and I would agree with that. There are some things the will of man cannot change. You cannot change your environment. You can't change your social status. You can't change your gender, contrary to what many people are, are thinking that they can do today. You cannot change your genetics. You cannot change a lot of things that you can't change. And I would even say this. You cannot will your way to heaven. All right? You cannot will your way to heaven. What you can do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and whoever comes to him, the Father gives to him, and he will in no wise cast out. Now let's look at that. Um, we've got Romans 3.10. It says, none seek after God. Okay? That's the next point that Chris brought up. I would ask, you, I would ask this question. Why on earth does the Bible tell you 27 times to seek the Lord and you'll find him? 27 times. Seek the Lord and you'll find him. There is one time in the entire Bible in Romans 3.10 that says, None seeketh after God. None seeketh after God. I would say that it's this is a, a, a gravely important passage because it comes down to the interpretation of it. What do we do with this verse? Who's it talking about? I would say that in the context, it, it's saying there's, there's none righteous, no, not one. In verse 11, it says, There's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. And uh, they've all gone astray. They've become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Who's it talking about? Well, go right up before this. It's talking about the circumcision, the Jews. What's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Is the Jews were under a law that was binding them to please God in that way that you had to serve God through the Levitical law, through the ceremonial law, the moral law, the civil law. And these things were not able to please God. If you're going to apply that to God, you're seeking him the wrong way. So Paul is telling them, if you want to seek God, you have to do it according to what he is doing through Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And then you get to John 6, uh, John chapter 6. I want to go there real quick. And I want to look at this. And, and I'll camp here the rest of the time. I know Chris spent a lot of time here. Um, one of the most common, this is, this is a proof text for Calvinism in John 6, 44, it says, it says, no man can come to me except the father, which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up the last day. What I would say is this, what I would say is this, God has drawn all men to himself through Jesus Christ by raising him up on the last day. Jesus Christ in John 12:32 says, "And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me." Guess what? One of these one of these verses, if it's taken out of the context, is making God a liar. If you take those two things, God is drawing, Jesus is drawing, the Holy Spirit is drawing, every one of them is drawing you to Jesus Christ. It's up to you what you do with it. I don't know how much time I've got, but I'd say that's pretty close. Eight seconds. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll turn it over to Chris. All right, Chris, you ready? Yes, sir, I am ready. All right, go. All right, so um, 
there really wasn't a lot of exegesis of any any particular text. Um, he, you know, he talked a lot about the Erasmus quote in Martin Luther. Just to be clear, I do not follow Martin Luther. I don't affirm um, a lot of what Luther taught. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful for him, but that's why I straight went to the text. I didn't quote Calvin. I didn't quote Augustine. I went straight to the Bible. So, you know, there, there, there that is. One, I wrote down some quotes that was said, and I'm, and I'm definitely hoping that I'm, you know, accurate in what I what I was writing down. But um, one of the first things he went to to critique my position is that God isn't responsible for evil. Well, hey, I agree there. I don't believe God is responsible for evil. I'm a compatibilist. Um, though God, and this isn't in our necessarily in our debate, but I, I don't believe the God the the decree of God is. Um, what in his secret decree makes men makes forces men to do something contrary to what they don't want to do, nor does it hold men responsible. You can see that in texts like Genesis 50, um, Acts, uh, sorry, Isaiah 10, and Acts chapter 4, um, where God has decreed something to come to pass, yet holds men still responsible for the evil that they committed. Um, like I said, that's not necessarily part of our debate. Um, the The question was asked if men have have no ability. To do otherwise, then how is the offer genuine? Well, I think that question could be turned back around on him, since my uh, my friend here affirms that God, God knows all things, and so only one option can happen or will happen. And so, if man can only do what God knows, then how can the offer be genuine? See, the question, the the what we're going to see here today is every every critique he gives of my position can actually be turned back around on him, and will refute him if his if its critique is correct. Um, he says if men have no free will, then they aren't responsible. Um, well, no. If men had no will, they, they wouldn't be responsible. But I affirm men have wills. They just aren't free. They're enslaved, as I said earlier. Responsibility and ability are two different things. And so man is responsible to do the things of God, yet they have no ability. That's why you need God. Um, he said, I mean, he quoted something about the prodigal son. And I mean, I, I was really wasn't really tracking on what was going on since, you know, there was no exegesis of that. I really wish I could respond to that. But I, I mean, I don't know. the, I don't really know the point uh, of that. I think he was trying to make a point about being dead. But um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I was struggling there personally. Um, he said that the seek the Lord is is commanded of us 27 times. Again, command does not prove ability. It denotes responsibility, but not ability. And as I just quoted in Romans 3.12, it tells us no one seeks God. And that's not just about the Jews. That is talking about all humanity. That's because the conclusion of Paul's argument is in Romans 23, where he says all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's not just about Jews. It's about every single person. And so you're going to have some real problems if you make Romans 3 just about um, the Jews. Um, I mean, if I would have read 10 through 8, you can see that as this description of the carnal man. He also brought up uh, about the free will offerings. That's <laughs> that's not the context of this the debate. That free will offerings does not prove the context of the autonomous free will, which we're debating. Um, free will offering is, is just saying they weren't coerced to do it. They, they gave, you know, of their own, you know, their own choice, which I affirm. But to say that men have the ability to do um, 
good or evil, which I, I've, I've given plenty of scriptures. I wish there would have been more engagement in some of the things I said um, in my opening statement, but there wasn't. Um, he, he spent a lot of time in his opening statement talking about the genuine choice, the genuine choice. Um, what was meant by that was the ability to do otherwise. That's that's what I would uh, I, w- I would believe he was saying that genuine choice means the ability to do otherwise. Just like I said earlier, if that's the position, then you're going to have to say God does not know all things, which I know he does not hold to. But I'm showing the inconsistency of the position is that if genuine choice means ability to do otherwise, God knows what you're going to do. And there's only one thing you can do if God knows it. Otherwise, he doesn't know it. There's not a possibility of of something God knows. God knows all things actually. I mean, he's 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 omnipresent, as my opponent would agree with. And so if that's what your meaning of genuine choice means, then you're going to have to reject your own position because there's only one choice you can do from from all eternity. From let's just say from the moment you created God knows every decision you're going to make and you're only going to do that decision, which he knows. So therefore, it's not a genuine choice from your your position because you can't do otherwise. Um. He spent some time about, you know, just choice. You know, all these people were choosing, you know, he went through a lot of biblical examples of choice. I affirm choice. Um, Men make choices. Yes, that is not a critique of total inability. It's not a critique of uh, total depravity. It's not not a critique of me saying, you know, free will. If I was saying there's no will, maybe that would be a... um, accurate you know description and i would i would totally agree with you there but i affirm men have wills it's just just that their will is in bondage to sin and they choose according to their desires i mean the the text about the you know um the uh, man not changing the ethiopian not changing his skin the the leopard not changing his that's not dealing with just conditions of of you know where you're born the text says let me let me get it up here because it's not dealing with just men, you know, um, the the situation they're in or, you know, they can't change their, you know, who their parents are. No, it says you who are good. It says then you also do good, can do good, who are accustomed to doing evil. It's it's referring to the man, man's nature. All the texts I, I gave were, were, were about man's nature. Um, it's evil. It's hostile to God. It's enemy to God. All, all these things and, and from my perspective, I don't believe they were really dealt with. Um, rather, from from his position, he asserted free will and just quoted these texts. And honestly, there wasn't really any text to engage with. So that's why I'm, I'm not really quoting any text. But um, yeah, that's that's all I really have. And I'll, I know I got about a 50 seconds left, but I'll, I'll surrender that time. Okay, the next... Um Section is uh, cross-exam. So, um, Josh, you go ahead and start your cross-exam of Chris, and then this is 12 minutes, and then, Chris, you'll have 12 minutes to cross-examine Josh. Sounds good. Okay. Um, Can you guys see the comments that are up there? Yes. Oh, you can? Okay. Sweet. I got it up there. Boom. I think I did, unless unless you can just... I don't see it. Uh, are you, do you have it on the? You have it on the screen now. Well, I clicked that little. Um, oh, hold on. Comment box. Try dragging it if, if uh. 
you should see it floating on the screen and yeah it comes up and I can see it the comments and reactions and I can drag it but it's so I guess um, I guess it's just embedded within YouTube so if you're not in a full screen mode you, you should be able to see the comments but I guess this would just allow me to see the comments since I'm not you, you can see the comments that's what matters all right so we'll go ahead and get it so ready? 12 minutes I'm ready okay um so Chris I would ask when it comes to when it comes to the nature of a man, your position is that, that that man will only do what they are able to do within that nature until that nature is changed and allows them to want to do otherwise. Is that correct? Yeah, a man can only he will his 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 decisions, his choices he will make will will flow from his nature, from from the heart within. And and unless God changes that changes that heart, um he will never be able to do righteousness, or as Romans 8 said, he will never be able to submit to God's law. Okay. And uh, so I, I guess what this would lead me to, I, do you, let me ask you this question. Do you see Old Testament pictures and types of Christ as being a type of what Christ would fulfill later when he comes? For example... Noah and the Ark. Do you see that as a type of Christ? Yeah, yeah, I do. But that, 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 I think that might be because I think that's necessarily getting on the atonement, and we're 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 more so focusing on the will of man and, and his nature. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm, they're they're connected in some sense, but um, we're particularly focusing on on man's nature and the will. So when you went to Genesis chapter six, verse five. And it, it talks about Noah building the ark and men being wicked and, and God seeing it and, and coming to destroy men for that reason. Why do you think God would build an ark and have Noah preach righteousness to them? I'm not sure the. I'm not. The text never, never, never says if, if that's what you're you're, you're asking. Um, God, yeah, God warned them. Um, and in God's God's decree, He sends out the word so that it would it would be a just condemnation against them. Um, and so He doesn't say, you know, just in saying not murder. You know, He gives that law, and those who murder, they have a revealed law to know that they're they're doing wrong against. So you would say that that the righteousness that Noah was preaching after Noah found grace to the lost was a message of condemnation and not a message of hope? Yeah, since they all died. So he wasn't telling them you can get on this boat and be saved? Yeah, we, we see nowhere on there that that was said. We, we, we don't know what... So where would we, you say that he was preaching condemnation to him if you don't see that he was preaching hope? Okay, yeah, we, we don't know what was said. Okay, so that would be just something we don't, read into the text? No, we don't know what was. We don't know if he said get on the boat. That's not ringing into the text. It never says that. Okay, um, so I'll leave that there. Now, you rem you remember in Numbers chapter twenty one, Moses made a serpent, put it on a, it was on a stick. People were bitten by vipers. If they looked at that serpent, they would live. If they didn't look, they wouldn't live. Jesus Christ actually even used this in a message in John chapter 3. And he said, 
that he's going to be lifted up as Moses lifted up that serpent. And anybody who looks to Jesus can live. Do you see any inability within the typology through Moses that people genuinely did not have the ability within their nature to look and live? Well, yeah, types are what they are. Types and shadows. They're, they're not the full reality of what Scripture says. And so I'd rather so my position is I'd rather go to the didactic teachings that actually teach about man's nature rather than assume or presuppose an ability or inability of man. And, and, and impose that into the text. It never talks about the ability or inability of man in those texts. So that's why I don't think you should start that there. I'd rather go to texts that actually talk about man's nature and ability. Okay. So um, let me go here. I'm going to pull this up on the screen so that we can see it. In Numbers 21, verse... Uh, number. Let me... I'm going to try to zoom in here. Uh, let me go back. Okay. In Numbers 21, verse, uh, where is it? Verse 9, it says this. And, and Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole. It came to pass, if the, certain bit, if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And right before that, it says, um, if it, it, it says if it had bitten any man, any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, would you would you say that this is this is a limitation on any man? Let me see if I can explain that a little better. Is is, is there anyone here that that was bitten would not have had a chance to actually look and live? I mean, because it liter it says any man, which would be an all inclusive, if if you ask me. Would you say that that reference there is not all inclusive? Again, it 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 doesn't speak of a uh, man's nature, but I think you would even agree on this that men will do men will do religious things for self preservation. We see that a lot of times, yeah. But that that doesn't get into man's nature. Yeah, a man will look at this, uh, you know, bronze serpent so that he'll live. But it it that's that's not. I mean, he wasn't. I think you would agree. Men weren't saved in the Old Testament by looking at this. They were they weren't saved salvifically. They were just saved in, in a preservation type of way. Yeah. Um, okay. So now let me ask you. That. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Now I'm married. You're married, right? Yep. So when it comes to marriage, and we look in Ephesians chapter five, you you see that 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 the church is like to the wife of Christ, the bride of Christ, and and it it goes over. The love that a man has for his wife, the love that a wife has for her husband, but but before they got married, and before I got married at least, I didn't have the ability to make my wife love me. You know what I mean? So it, if if this is if this is a reference, a genuine reference that that the church individuals that are the bride of Christ are married to Christ someday to be wed to Him. My wife was one day, she was engaged to me, but I didn't make her love me. How can you reconcile the two together that well, she doesn't have a choice? The, wife, the bride of Christ doesn't have a choice to actually choose Christ. I, I actually, I, I know I said it at least two or three times, I, I do affirm men do have choices. I, 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 I stated that multiple times, just men choose according to their desires. 
So, yes, men men make choices. I'll say that again, just to be clear. Men do make choices. It's just that men make choices according to their desires. Secondly, not everyone is in a marriage with God. You even stated specifically that is speaking about the church. And so that's not referring to every single person. I think you would even have to admit that's not speaking about, I mean, to you, Strongers, the, the, the prostitute. It's speaking about those who are in marriage with, with God. But I'm, what I'm ref- and I think that I think that what we're getting at is what led up to that. Did did she actually have a genuine ability to choose her husband as a wife? Does a wife genuinely have the ability to say, you know what, this guy loves me, I love him back, I want to marry him, or does she say, you know what, he loves me, I'm gonna marry him because he loves me? Is is there a genuine reciprocated love between the wife and the husband and the church in Jesus Christ? Well, I, w- I would re- reciprocate a yes. The bride does love the husband. And so I'm not saying, I- I'm not sure if what you think I'm saying is as long as God chooses you or, you know, then you'll, whatever happens, happens after that. That's not what I'm saying. Um, th- but then again, or not then again, also this text is not even describing the, the pre- pre-spousal nature of 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 the spouse it's not getting into the nature of man so we we can't we can't come up with philosophical reasoning in text and assume man's free will by going to text like if this then this happens well let's we, i think that's why i started with texts that were clear about man's nature okay um we'll switch gears again in revelation 21 verse 6 would would you please exegete revelation 21 6 so i'm not reading anything into it and just just read it and exegete that verse for me, would you? Yeah, let me pull it up here. It says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I mean, was there something particular? I mean... Well, okay, so specifically I'm referencing anyone who's a thirst of the fountain yeah. of water of life he'll give to them freely. So, and yeah. see, in my version, it says, I'll give into him there's a, that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. So mm-hmm. my question is, can, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? If someone's thirsty and, and Jesus has given it out freely, doesn't, doesn't that entail that the man who is thirsty has the ability to say, Jesus, can you give me the water of life freely? Well, you see this language in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are thirsty, right? And I will, and I will, blessed are well, those hunger and thirst, actually. Um, but again, it's, it's, you, you have to ask these questions to where the text isn't even answering these, these things. Um, all we see is, you know, and, and I would argue it's the one who recognizes their, their spiritual state. I, I think you would agree with that, who recognize that they are thirsty and that they are hunger and they could come to God or Christ who is God, right? And he'll satisfy by them without any bread, without any payment that they actually offer. Um, I'm, I'm not sure where the, I mean, the, the conflict is with my, with my position is. Yes, anyone who comes, God will, God will save. The question is, who will come? And this question isn't, or this text isn't answering that. Yeah, so that's, okay, I've got probably about 45 seconds. It, it, to piggyback off of that, in Revelation twenty two seventeen, it says this. 
It says, In the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. What do you think about that verse in relation to what you just said about Revelation 21.6? I say the same thing. Amen. Amen. Okay. I say amen. I, I mean, I don't... I don't think I, I don't believe I contradicted that verse. So it yeah, doesn't have the anything one who to do with ability there? Okay. Is that time, Jeff? Just about. Okay. Five seconds. All right. I'll turn it over to you, Chris. <laughs> All right. Ready, Chris? Uh, hold on. Let me. Okay. Pull up my. Sure. All right. All right. I am ready. Good. Josh, can you define free will for us, please? Um, I would say that it's a will that is unlimited in ability. It's free. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, unlimited in what aspect? Because I, I know you. I want to be fair to what you said earlier about uh, the. You, you did place some limitations on it. Like we can't yeah. choose our parents, so things like me, that. Let but. me illustrate it this way. I would say this. When Adam sinned in the garden, they didn't have any knowledge of good and evil, right? But, but what they lost in the garden was the image of Christ, the image of God, okay? So that was the spiritual side. That's what they lost, but what they gained was a conscience. They began to understand good and evil, okay? That's what they got when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They gained a conscience to be able to understand, to be like, the, to be like God, to know those things. When it comes to your will, I would say that the will is a genuine ability to discern between good and evil and to choose okay. good or evil. Okay, so the ability to do good or evil. Well, okay. the ability to discern between good and evil. I'd be, make it more specific. So it's not actually the ability to do good and evil. It's just to recognize good and evil. It, it, that would be what your conscience is. Your conscience is able to do, and, and, and specifically, it's able to discern. You know what I mean? Like, until my so, thoughts engage in action, it's just a thought. So the conscience is just simply the ability to know what's good and evil. So it has nothing actually to do with ability to carry it out. It, well, I'm not sure I'm following you on that. So you're saying it's just the ability to recognize something as good or good or evil. But it has. you, you want to limit it to just that. So I'm saying it has actually nothing to do with how the carrying I, I think it I see out what that you're So the will itself isn't able to do anything. But let me illustrate it this way. I can will myself to climb Mount Everest. My will didn't climb Mount Everest. My will drove me to climb Mount Everest. My will can say, you know what, I want to choose Christ. I can choose Christ. My will cannot go, I want to get to heaven, let me get to heaven. So I would say that the will itself is limited in the ability to choose to go to heaven. God has given us the means to go to heaven through Jesus Christ, which means my conscience tells me here's right, here's wrong, here's good, here's evil. Here's your ability to choose to will, to choose Christ. I can choose Christ. That's the way I would put it. So, because you, you said that in your opening statement about just uh, kind of, you kind of rose the question about us, you know, how is it free if, you know, we, we can't do the ability other than, correct? Um, I mean, you wrote you something. I, I know I'm not quoting you precisely, but I'm generalizing. That's I, I what think you probably what I, what I said was: is it is it a, is it a genuine 
free will because okay. my understanding of of and I want and I wanted to make sure that I represented your stance on this. Um, and my very first question was, what's the limitation of the will? You know, is it is it you're only able to will within your nature until your nature is changed? And you said yes, it is. So I would say your will is only limited in to, to the to the extent that you cannot change who you are. So what I'm saying when it comes to the new birth, your will cannot change you. Your will can be put into Jesus Christ who can change you and not a moment before. So what I'm saying is when it comes to regeneration and your will, your will leads to believing in Christ that will regenerate you. If not, your regeneration needs regenerated of. Does your will affect your decisions? Absolutely. Okay, so in Genesis 26, I'll give you time to check that out. You let me know when you uh, have it. Okay. It says that it says that God kept Abimelech from sinning. Yeah. Given that your will has to do with your actions, as you just say it, stated, how can God violate a person's free will and keep them from um, carrying it out one or the other? Yeah. So I would this is this is something that I think is is something that um, someone who is against free will altogether has to pull things out like this where God is is actually stepping in and intervening throughout, throughout history. I would say that God has the ability to do that. I don't limit what God can and can't do. I don't look at free will as a man-centered theology that is earning my way to heaven. I don't, I don't look at free will and say, God cannot intervene in my free will in any way. God forbid you touch my free will, God. I don't look at it that way. It, I look at it as God can do whatever he wants, and he does intervene throughout history, and there's no denying it. If God wants okay, to so, keep a man from sinning, he can do that. Okay, so just to be clear, you do believe God could violate a person's free will? Well, I I don't like that term violate a person's free will. I don't I don't need I don't mean that in a pejorative or negative negative uh, for lack of better terms, yes, violate God can suspend. He did. He did. I mean suspend. Yeah. How about suspend? He could suspend a person's free will or like you said, intervene to cause someone not to yeah, opportune his free but he will. he didn't do it with David and Bathsheba, did he? Well, I'm asking about this. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so he could he can do that, right? Absolutely. Okay. You agree, and I know you do. You agree all things God knows all things, correct? Yes. If God knows what we will do infallibly, how can we do something other? So, I think this is a a common connection that foreknowledge and predestination are the same thing. Well, I'm not I'm not making that connection. I'm I'm actually stepping into your worldview in in foreknowledge, God knows all things. I'm not even yeah. speaking about predestination from my perspective. From your perspective, God foreknows all things. Yes. Not even I'm not even speaking about the Calvinistic predestination. Even from your position, how can how can you do something other if God knows it? So how can I? So there's many times that God said something would happen that man said, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to allow that to happen. So for instance, in First Samuel chapter 12, God said, listen, David, they're coming to get you. You stay in the city, you're going to die. So you know what, David, that was God saying, you know what, they're coming to get you, you're going to die in the city. So what did David do? He left the city. It's the same thing in our own lives. I would say this, when it comes to God intervening, so when it comes to God knowing what is going to happen, it doesn't mean that it cannot change. You know what I mean? Just because mm. God knows what's going to happen, it doesn't mean it can't change. 
So How that's does... what I would say is, is in that regard, in Revelation chapter 1, it says that the testimony of Christ is prophecy. It's the very testimony of Christ is his ability to prophesy, to know what's going to happen, but also for God to step in and change what's going to happen. Great point. So with, with, your, with that being said, can, how can prophecy be true if it actually can change? Because you just stated that God knowing all things doesn't mean it can't change. So could yeah. so, so could Jesus have not died on the cross? Absolutely, Jesus could have not died on the cross. I would say that so, Jesus had a will that was able to choose to not go to the cross. And I, this is where so, you, you get as deep as you possibly could. I know that it was it was foreordained that it would happen. I know that it, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But it doesn't change the fact that he was tempted, that he was beaten, that he was all of these things, that he prayed to God saying, take this cup from me. There, it, it doesn't change the fact that he didn't want it to happen. He said, thy will, thy will not my will be done. So God had the okay, ability. So, so given that, given that Jesus could have not died on a cross, but it was also prophesied, how would that make, how would that not make God a false prophet? It came to pass, didn't it? Deuteronomy. No, but I, no, I, I'm I'm saying from your perspective, it let, let's theoretically jump in to say it could have changed. If that would have been true, that means we would have false prophecies. Therefore, God would have violated His own law. But then again, you're creating a straw man. That's saying, How, well, that, it that, could have that, happened. That's not yeah, a straw man. But I'm saying it didn't happen. Yeah, but you said it can. You said the future can change. It can, absolutely. But I'm saying what, what, what is written in Scripture has been fulfilled when it comes to the specific act of Christ. That happened okay, exactly but, as it was. But let's, let's, 200 years pre-Christ, could that have changed? Well, you're, you're, doing, a, you're doing a what if. I, I mean, let's, I would say let's go to a specific Scripture and say, well, did this change? Did this not change? Was Christ a false prophet? I, w I would say that basically— I'm only— I'm only answering what you, what you just said. You, you, you stated that some things can change. Well, so, so I'm I asking an example you. there in 1 Samuel 12 where, where God told David, listen, they're coming to kill you if you stay in the city. So David left the city. Does that mean God was a false prophet? No. It means that God told David they're coming to kill you, so David changed the outcome. He left. Okay. All right. So does God have free will? Yes. Okay. Um, all right. I'll, I'll skip that one. Do we lose free will in heaven? No. So we will be able to, to, to do sin in heaven? Well, there's no more sin in heaven. So we won't be able to, to choose evil? Uh, I, man, I, don't, it, I think about those things, and, and that gets a little too wild drive to get in it that deep. I would say that there is I know no my time's more up. sin, this death and hell, are, and sin, they're, they're cast in a lake of fire, so there's no more sin. I don't know how to say that you could or couldn't if it's if it's if it's done. So. Okay, I I know that's my time. No, not yet. Not yet. How much? How much time I got left? Minute and a half. Minute and a half. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So getting back onto the you know the future can change. Um, how can God know the future? Because He's omniscient. Okay, but that's that's circular. That's a circular reasoning because ultimately, what you just said, God knows the future because He knows the future. Well, here's so, how can He know the future if the future is is open? So here, here's what I would say. I, I'd say that this this I know that you don't want to use these words, but you're using them without using them. Foreknowledge is not predestination. 
because God says I'm not. <laughs> yeah, you you are. You're inferring that how could God nope, know it not. without making it happen, right? So nope. I'm I'm only dealing the with the questions. I understand. I'm only dealing with His knowledge. You're just, not him, so how can not, God his, know something if it can change? Yeah. Well, God, God knows whether it's going to happen, and He knows if it's not going to happen. So. So how can it change if He actually knows these the the outcome? That's not a change. He knows ex exhaustively that action. Okay, but I just gave you an example again how God told David what was going to happen and he changed the outcome. Well, I, I would I would disagree with your exegesis of that though, but this is my time to ask the ask the question, so I, I'm not going to respond to that particularly. So, but I'm showing how you, you're saying something can change, but he still knows it. How how is that a change if he knows? If he actually knows the the outcome, that's not a change. That's time. Okay, sorry. No, that's right, right. Sorry, it's bringing that last one on you. That's man. a tough one, man. Okay, we're getting down to the closing here. Everybody want to just take a drink of water and yeah. catch your breath and wipe the forehead off. <laughs> yeah, wipe, wipe the sweat off your brow and Chris do a little rap song for us here. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that um um. What was that? What's that song that you did on the Black Hebrew Israelites? I was listening to that, the Pseudo Israelites or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was yeah. good, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. I wanted to play appreciate that, it. but yeah, <laughs> I didn't get your copyright approval. <laughs> okay, Josh, five minutes for closing. All right. All right. Let me get here. Okay. We want to thank all those who are listening in. On YouTube tonight as well. That's nice response here. A lot of a lot of good comments. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. All right. All right go. Okay. So, in the format of a debate, your job as an audience is simply to judge um, who addressed the points. Who addressed the points that were made, and who who stuck to those points? Who introduced who introduced new material? Who didn't introduce, introduce new material? I would say that I I didn't get a chance to get to all of Chris's um, verse references that he laid out in his negative position. I did my best to do that. I think I got to uh, four or five of the the six or seven, however many points were there. I, I did most of those. Um, and, and, and just for time's sake, it makes it very difficult to do that when a lot of verses are thrown out. So in that respect, Chris, I know you didn't address all of my points either, but that's why I said, you know what, here's a lot of material for you to pick and choose from, and whatever you pick and choose from, we'll talk about that. And I think uh, in that respect, we did a good job. So um, what it would come down to is uh, who, who proved their point the best. And I would say this, when it comes to the free will of a man, there is no scripture that was brought up by Chris that shows anywhere in, the, in, in any verses that he, he proposed that a man's nature has to be changed before he can will to choose Christ. And I would say that I showed multiple verses, that uh, 27 in fact, that, that show that a man is told to seek God, and not only to seek him, but that you'll find him. It doesn't address the nature of a man. It doesn't address that the nature of a man has to be changed prior to seeking God and finding him. But what I would say is that the Bible very clearly teaches you have a genuine opportunity to choose Christ. In Joshua 24:15, it says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Another verse in John 3, 14 through 16, um, we talked about this, is, is Jesus quoting 
and giving himself as the example. As Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so Christ is lifted up to draw all men to himself. And that whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior can be saved. That's it, period. It's that simple. You don't have to have your nature changed in order to be changed. You don't have to have your nature changed to be born again. It all happens simultaneously. You believe you're regenerated and born again. If not, you've got it backwards. Your regeneration would need to be born again. So when it comes to the free will of man, I would say this. Seek God. Seek God. And to end with this, seek God. You'll find him. You will find him. The Bible says that God is near to those who seek him out, and he will be there. He'll be found by you. Um, I want to end with a quote here. Uh, I know that Chris d uh, didn't want to quote in, in, in any church fathers or anything like that, and that's fine. But I would say that the early church believed the same thing that I'm telling you right now when it comes to free will. Uh, Theophilus of Antioch, this is a second century early church father, he says this, For God made man free and with power over himself. Now God uh, both shapes to him as a gift through him his own philanthropy and pity when men obey him. For as man disobeying drew death on himself, so obeying the will of God, he who desires is able to procure for himself life everlasting. So that's the free will of man right there from a second century early church father who says that if you procure to the, the will of God, which is this, the will of God is, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to be saved, all of us, everyone, the whole world, the entire human race, and Jesus Christ is big enough within his sufficiency and efficiency of the cross to atone for your sins if you simply will call on the name of the Lord Jesus to, be, to save you. There's nothing limiting you. It's Jesus Christ who will save you alone, and if you believe in him, you will be saved. One minute. Oh, one minute. Uh, Irenaeus, he says this. He says, how often, he says th this expression, how often would I have gathered thy children together and thou wouldst not set forth the ancient law of human liberty because God made man a free agent from the beginning, possessing his own soul to obey the behests of God voluntarily and not by compulsion of God, for there is no coercion with God, but a goodwill toward us is present with him continually. I would say this, I agree with the early church fathers, I agree with Paul, I agree with Moses, and I agree with Jesus. The invitation is open to anyone who wants to come, and anyone who will can come. Anyone who can come will. I'd leave it at that. Okay. Anytime you're ready, Chris. All right, I am ready. Okay. Well, I want to thank everybody for, for tuning in to this uh debate i i i'm i'm very pleased with the cordiality of it it would it stayed friendly and and in debates like this i think that's always uh good um i want to state that the goal was to prove free will my job was not necessarily as one taking the negative position was not to prove um man doesn't have free will but the goal was to prove um free will ladies and gentlemen i don't think that was done tonight um only thing that was done was a text well very few texts were actually quoted um but the ones that were were inserted and they were assumed rather than established or proven um i did you know present a position and i did you know i do believe that i presented uh, much evidence that man's nature uh is has them in bondage and i did show that man's ability is to do 
um, or rather, uh, I, I did present what the scripture says about man's ability, and that I, I mean, it's hostile, it's 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 unable. All all these things, I think I did prove. Um, but it was more so Josh's position to prove the positive position. My, secondly, my job wasn't to prove man's nature uh, was changed by regeneration. Our, our debate wasn't necessarily on irresistible grace or or regeneration preceding faith. Our the, the debate title is on on free will, and that was to, uh, as he stated in the election. The debate was for him to present a positive case for that. Um, Secondly, um, I think some troubling things actually came out in the cross-examination because it was stated that the future is open to change. Um, I think the open theist is a consistent one, though. Although Josh does affirm God's exhaustive knowledge, I'm very thankful for that. It's not consistent with his position. Um, if the future can change, God does not know it. Because if, if, if the future could change or the future you know, is, is unable to change. And that means God knows all things and there's no, you know, contingencies in that, in that, that matter. And why is this, why is this troubling? Because if the future could change, it wrecks the gospel. It wrecks your assurance. It wrecks your eternal security. Cause that also could change all these things. Cause he said it was, you know, about things that have already happened. Can't change, which, you know, that's, that's an obvious. So things in the future. Okay. Well, no one's been glorified yet, so that could change then. You know, your, your eternal security could change. All these things that have not yet to come could change. But that that literally wrecks the gospel. It wrecks about Christ's atonement and him paying it all. Um, it, it wrecks the triune glorification of the, uh, of, of himself and, and, and coming into um, to to a cure his plan and, and, and all those things. And so that's why I think that position is dangerous. Um, and so uh, I, I'm hoping that's thought upon a little more. Um, and, and just, just, just to being consistent with the position that God does know all things and the future being able to change. Um, there's a lot of church history quotes, um, you know, in the beginning and in, in the end, I've could have established a lot of uh, church history quotes, but uh, Calvinists are particularly known or, labeled as men who lean on <laughs> other men so i definitely wanted to stay away to not fit the mold although i'm a i'm i love church history yes i mean augustine irenaeus athanasius all these men i i'm definitely uh I'm, you know thankful for them laboring and, and, and these things but i think our position first should be going to scripture um and establishing that that's the position taught and then going to church history to seeing were these men consistent with scripture. Sometimes we see yes, but sometimes we see no, like origin. Origin was a universalist. So we don't go to origin to see your universalism is true. And so that's that's my position. We, we, we go to scripture and we see, OK, this is what is taught. Uh, are these men, you know, consistent with that? That is my rule of exegesis. And I think or I, I believe we should go to the clear text on what it says about man's ability not go to ambiguous a ambiguity uh text and um insert our position into maybe an analogy 30 or seconds sorry so, <laughs> no problem um I, I definitely am passionate about this position uh i've been reformed for i don't know eight eight years now and i, I definitely preach this as the gospel uh or I, I put it as a consistent gospel because I believe that it can be proven through scripture. And so thank you for the, uh, for dialogue and, um, yeah, hope that was good for y'all. Absolutely. Very 
good. Um, are there any questions from the audience that you guys want to address before we close? Uh, you see any, Josh? <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I think just to make clear to you guys who are still on, I, it looks like right now we've got 11 viewers. We wanted to open it up to you as the audience. Obviously, we've, we've got some discussion that's going on here, and I think that's great. I haven't been reading it. So um, rather than scrolling through and going through uh, each one of these to see if there is a question, um, I would say if you, if, you, if you would like to participate, if you had a question to either me uh, or Chris, just address it, either Jay or Kay, and uh, type your question in, and we'll, we'll do our best to get to it. So if you guys want to do that, we'll give you a minute and uh, go from there. Yeah. In the meantime, I did want to thank both of you. Um, uh, very engaging uh, debate. Uh, both of you are very passionate about what you believe in Scripture. Um, and appreciate you both keeping it very cordial, loving, Christ-like. Um, I think all we all know that our primary mission is sharing the gospel and that... Um, those who come to Christ are going to be saved. Uh, I would say regardless of how we feel that um, order of, what do you call it, order salutis or whatever, regardless of how we think that goes, we know that God is in control and that those who come to him by faith are going to be saved. So um, a lot we could all get into a lot of semantic debates and things like that as well. And in the end, it's we want people to believe in Jesus Christ and we want them to be brothers and sisters. Okay. Um, I really appreciate that because it, it, it does lay out for us um, I, it, what the purpose of these things are. I, I think that they can be profitable or I wouldn't do it. I know you wouldn't do it and I know Chris wouldn't do it as well. Uh, but it, it looks like we've got a couple of questions here. The first one, Paul Goebel. Uh, it's addressed to me. It says, Paul said in Ephesians 2, 1, dead is dead is dead. How dead is dead? So um, this is what I was trying to, this is what I was trying to get at when I was talking about Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son. Um, when we talk about, when we talk about dead spiritually, that it doesn't mean dead physically. It doesn't mean your soul is dead. It, it, there's, there's things that it does not mean. So when I say dead, uh, you're dead spiritually. But here's what you do have: you have an ability to respond, and it's show. It's so. It, it's it's shown in such a, a beautiful picture, um, in Luke chapter 15 with this prodigal son, and it says that after he went out to um, fulfill it, it, all the desires of the flesh, and he ends up in the wallow of the mire of the pigs. It's, the Bible says that he came to himself. This is a great picture of a man coming to himself and realizing the state, the condition that he's in, that he can come back to the Father and recognize all the blessings and all the great things that you have in God if you just come to him. And guess what? When he came back, the Father came running after him with open arms. I think it's a great picture for your, your spirituality. Your spirit, your spirit is dead, and when you come to God, you can only do that through Jesus Christ, and he's ready and waiting for you with open arms, ready to give you a new life in Jesus. So I would say that. Um, I, I actually, uh, I don't necessarily disagree with all of that. I, I do believe man can respond. I just have the caveat of man not being able to respond positively. So 
and and see that's what I I won't I won't piggyback too much off of that. It just kind of turn it. It's a good open discussion. I would say that 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 text does not say anything about his ability. It doesn't say anything about his inability. It just says that he came to himself and that he went to his father, and his father was there waiting for him with all the blessings. I I, I agree. That's why I wouldn't go there to prove either, prove it either way. But I would also say you you can't show anywhere in scripture that you don't have an ability within your nature until your nature has changed. So, um, I, I, that's as close as we're going to get in my opinion. But. No one can come, you know, I, I think there's a lot of texts that say about man's ability, but I, I know, you, I know you, somebody got another question. Who's this one? So we've got a uh, Nathan, Nathan Davis has a good question. I think who's this too? Is that to me? I guess I think, uh, I think that's to you. First Samuel twelve. When God gave David yeah. a warning about Saul capturing him, could it could it have been that he told David that, knowing it would trigger the response from David fleeing Saul? It could. This I, it could, but the the scripture doesn't say that. So um, I would just have to go off of what it says. It it, it says that hey Saul's coming, he's going to kill you. So what did David do? He left. And and I would I would draw that to. Um, the, the spiritual application that, hey, God's given you a message, you're going to die in your sin. So what do you do? You leave. You turn to Jesus. That's all you got to do. You say, Jesus, save me from my sin, and you leave. You don't you don't have to face the consequences of that. So. Wouldn't you admit that, uh, and I'll just ask this, I won't follow up with a follow-up. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you admit that uh, warnings can serve as a means to accomplish what God wants? I think that's ultimately like the presupposition of that question right there. Um. So warnings can serve as a means to accomplish God's his purpose, purpose or his end or something like that. Yeah, I I would say they could. Okay. Okay, that's it. Um. Okay. He says. Oh, so, let's see. Did Paul type that again? How dead is dead? <laughs> okay. Uh, it sounds like a troll. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he does address Lazarus. I, this is this is my perspective on Lazarus, and I know that you and I, Chris, disagree on this. So I would like to hear your perspective. I'll I'll, I'll give my perspective, and then I'd like to hear yours. So uh, Lazarus was saved before he died. He died physically. He wasn't dead spiritually. Okay, it, he died physically. He was a friend of Jesus, and and his his sister comes to Jesus and says, you know what, you could have saved him, but you didn't. You could have. He he didn't have to die if you would have just been there. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, as the resurrection and the life, raises him from the dead before he had risen from the dead himself. So I would say th there's so much entailed in this, but, but what it comes down to is Lazarus is a picture of the resurrection of the saint. He's not a picture of, of the new birth of the saint. He's a picture of a saved man who dies and one day Jesus is coming back for you. If you die, someday Christ is coming back and you're going to have a resurrected body. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't start at the Lazarus text to prove uh, regeneration uh, before faith. I think there are other better texts. Um, I see why it's it's used, and I think it's analogous. Um, I mean, because you have like in um, Ezekiel thirty-seven where it's it's used of a dead man being raised, and it's talking about spiritual spiritual life. So, um, like, I I think just kind of you know. What I demand of you, I've also demanded of myself. Since I, even though I believe that point, <laughs> I don't want to go there just because I think it's proving my position. I, I think there are better texts, so I wouldn't 
I wouldn't want to start there. Uh, maybe like that person is thinking, because uh, you you're right. It does not explicitly say so. That that I like to go to the clearer text to prove something first. Okay. Yeah, Nathan, you can ask whatever you want. So just type it in there, Paul. Oh, okay. <laughs> do you want to do you want to address that? I think we kind of hit on that already. Didn't yeah, we? yeah. I mean, that was ultimately what our what our what our debate was about about you know the ability of man, you know, and and I know I addressed it in my opening, and with the time you you could you know I think you addressed it. Yeah. So uh, Nathan, uh, says, Nathan has a. Question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. There you. Go. No, that, that's what I was actually getting at. <laughs> Nathan says, should our definition of free will trigger the response of the objector in Romans 9.19? Okay, let me get there. Hey, guys, I, I'm going to go to work tomorrow morning, so I'm going to bug out now, okay? Hey, Jeff, uh, thanks, hey God bless, Jeff. It's thanks for having me. Yeah, Appreciate you. Here. God bless. Have a good night. All right. So, yeah, that's that. I, I texted uh, Jeff earlier today, and... Um, I, I asked him if he was ready for the night, and he he told me he reminded me he's on Eastern Standard Time that he would have to take a nap before this. So, oh, <laughs> like, I don't I, I really appreciate him doing that, especially. Yeah, that's yeah. really nice of him. But, all right, so we're in Romans nine nineteen, and it says, uh, "Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will?" I think that a lot of people resist as well. I think that in the book of Acts, where is it? Acts, uh, mm, I want to say 14. I'm not 100% sure. Let seven. Me, is it seven? Figure of Yeah, uh, chapter seven. Where, Stephen. Yeah, so Stephen, he's talking to the Jews, and he says that you do resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did before you. And uh, even Jesus told Paul uh, before his conversion, it's hard to kick against the pricks. I think that a lot of people have the ability to resist. And uh, it, it, see, this this is a question. It's not a statement saying nobody resists his will. And I think that's read into it. It, it, it. It's, well, it's a question. He says, who has resisted it? Those Those people who reject it resist it. It doesn't say anything about their nature not being able to... Re to resist it because they haven't been changed. It doesn't say anything about their nature not being able to resist it because they have been changed. So I would leave it at that. Chris, what do you got? Yeah, I actually think I think the opposite. Uh, I think they are. It's you know Paul is actually anticipating an argument. That's why he says, "You will say to me then, why does he find fault? For who can resist his will?" And I th I think the question denotes a no one can. Um, I believe he's speaking about his uh you know e e eternal decree on you know um for when, when you know for things to happen and so <clears throat> the reason why i think this is a a negative is because i mean paul is paul you know he's anticipating an objector and that's why in the next phrase it says but who are you old man to answer back to god because if if they could resist god's eternal decree then there's no really point to complain why why he made them like that you know um they wouldn't say why you had made me like this since they can resist it and so that's why you know I think uh, you know that 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 you know point. That's why I would say I, I think it's consistent with the position yeah. I've I've made. So, dude, I would say in Romans nine, uh, that's something. If you ever wanted to to do a debate on Romans nine, I would definitely be open to that because that would take 
you know, that would take time in itself to, because it's pretty tough to just take one verse without oh, of course. diving into it a little bit. Oh, of course. It, um, yeah. All right. Let's see. What do we got here? Romans 3.11. I tried to address that. Um, see, let me let me get to it. Is, is is this addressed to me or Chris? By the way, I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming you. Okay. Uh, the no man. Well, it says no man can, but I think he's referring to the no one seeks for God. And you you addressed it in your um, you know, rebuttal. Yeah, I I would just sum it up this way. It, you had 27 times in the Bible. God's telling you to seek him, he'll, you'll find him. So when I see the one time in the Bible that says, none seeketh after God, um, there's got to be something to that. And well, actually, it's a, it's a uh, quotation from uh, Psalms, uh, Psalms, Psalm 51, I believe. Um, and so, but yeah, so this isn't just one time, so, but. But it's, the, it's the same reference is what I'm saying. Sure. Because he's sure. quoting it, but, but, um. So, when it comes to that, and a lot of guys have given their opinion on it. I've read a lot of different opinions on it. I think that I think the best um, the best illustration that I can come to that that I would agree with is uh, they're they're looking for the wrong God. You know, they're not seeking the right God. If they are seeking God, because the Bible does say you can seek Him, you'll find Him. So here it says, "None seeketh God." Um, you know. So how do you how do you reconcile that? Well, let's look at it this way. I mean, in Genesis chapter 6, it, were, were there people seeking God? I would say that Noah and his family were, but the rest of the world got wiped out. So, um, I would say that... So, they, how do, so how do you reconcile that? that they weren't seeking God. <laughs> but, but for, you know, from your position, I, I do think I have an answer for that. But, you know, you, 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 you see all these texts that say, seek God, seek God, seek yeah. God, as you said, 27 times. And then you see verses where it says, no one can. Yep. Or, no, yeah, no one seeks God, yeah. you know. So in the context of it, it he's talking to the Jews. And, and obviously in Romans, this is a great, it, it, it's Paul laying out what the difference of the Old Testament to the New Testament was. And I think you and I would both agree that under the Old Testament, there was a law that they had to keep. And uh, that, that they were trying to seek God through the law. So he's laying out the difference here that you, you're not going to find God that way. You've got to look at him through Jesus Christ now. So if I was going to look at it from that angle, I would say that. At the same time, if you're looking at it from uh, the other angle, some guys would say, well, they're not seeking the right God. Uh, so you know what? Uh, I I would agree with both of those to an extent. Okay. Gotcha. Anyways. All right. Nathan says last one. All right. What do you got, Nathan? Well, are you gonna are you gonna be having any uh, upcoming debates soon? Um, I've talked about it with a couple of guys. Um, I I haven't um, nailed down a date. There's a so one of my one of my buddies that I grew up with, it, he's a professor down in Arkansas, and he, uh, it, so tell me what you think about this. Jesus said, if you don't believe Moses and the prophets, you won't believe me, even if a man should be raised from the dead, right? 
I believe that Jesus is, is correct in saying that he's he's a uh, an uh, I don't an archaeologist or something along those natures, but he studies anthropology, and so he's clearly a guy who would support evolution. Um, he would. He, I think that there's a lot of problems with evolution when it comes to um, reconciling those to Genesis chapter one through three and the creation oh, yeah. account. And uh, so he and I are talking about putting a debate together. He wants to get um, a couple of his peers to do that as well. Uh, so Chris, if you would like to double team that thing, I would be more than willing <laughs> to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> but anyways. Uh, Nathan has a good question, actually. Uh, let's see. When did you first encounter Calvinism, and what was your reaction? When did you become a Calvinist? So, um, I would say, I mean, I, the limited exposure that I had to Calvinism was what other people told me about it when I was growing up, when I went to church, those things. But when I when I really started to engage on it with with Calvinists to find out, I wanted to know what is a Calvinist belief. So I engaged online. I would say that probably started five years ago. And I've got to tell you, um, nothing has been more challenging to me and uh, nothing's made me more appreciative of my faith and understanding the love of God and the character of God than engaging with people like Calvinists who believe differently than me. Because I've got to tell you, I mean, at first it was like, gosh, man, is this a different gospel? And I'm just telling you, like, this is what goes through my mind. I mean, because there's right. obviously there's a drastic difference in the way that you look at um, man coming to Christ and the order salutis, if you want to call that, versus me and, and how a man comes to Christ. And so there's a lot of questions that I have about that that's like, well, is that, the, is, is that a different gospel? Is this a different Jesus? Is this the God that I worship who damns people to hell before they're born and doesn't give them a chance? And so those are questions that I have. And... And um, I, I engage with, I want to know what you, as a Calvinist, and there's a lot of different degrees of Calvinism. I respect Chris a lot because I believe that you're a very consistent Calvinist. Um, you know, it, when it comes to misrepresenting or representing a Calvinist, I have to ask each individual, what do you believe? Because there's yeah. differences. So I hope I answered that question. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I became a Calvinist. I'm uh, 28 years old. I became a Calvinist when I was about 20, 21. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, Christian rap. And uh, I love uh, Shaolin. And I didn't know he was a Calvinist when I was listening to him. And I heard a song pretty much about a limited atonement or definite atonement. People call it different terms. And I remember thinking, like, man, what is this guy talking about? I've never heard this, you know. And uh, instead of having a, oh, I ain't going to listen to him ever again or you know, chucking a CD out the window. I was like, man, let me, I respect the guy. Let me look into it. And I started examining just some of, some of the things and, you know, I read a book on it and I was like, I actually think I believe this, you know? Um, and so that's, that's really how I, how I came to it. Uh, listening to Christian rap, honestly, and, uh, examining the scripture. So that's good. Yeah, man. All right. Yeah. Let's see. We'll do, I don't know if there's any more. We might wrap up here. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about it. All right. But I definitely do uh, uh, just pray for your ministry, man, and, um, you know, just dealing with uh, theistic evolution or evolution. I don't know what type of evolution he's promoting. Um, 
want to see you debate, you know, some Roman Catholics or, you know, other stuff too, uh, you know, and so I, I definitely do appreciate, you know, you, um, like, like I said, I, I don't want to ever come to where I'm just in an echo chamber, not thinking about these issues. Um, I, 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 I think that's where we both agree, um, where it's dangerous and it, and it happens on both sides. You have people that never want to be challenged. And they just never go through life thinking about these things. I, I think even if you're right, you need to be challenged and strengthened in your argumentation. I think you even made a you know a point to that earlier, and so I I, I think that's only going to help you. You know, um, I know some churches. You know, you typically see it in the fundamentalist type churches. They you know don't want you yeah. examining nothing. You know, just stay stay behind, and you, you know you'll be okay. It's yeah. like. Now, I don't think that's what God called us to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I do appreciate you, uh, you know, opening yourself up to examination and, you know. Hey, man, I think we're both after the same thing, and that's truth. I, I think that, uh, you know, Pontius Pilate got as close as uh, an unsaved man would get, whether he, whether he was born again or not, to getting the truth when he said, what is truth? He, he, if he would have asked who is truth, he might have got it because he was standing right in front of him, but... I think mm -hmm. we both want that, and um, Chris, I appreciate your ministry. I'll continue to follow you and, and promote your videos and stuff. I think that's good. Um, on, when it comes to the, the Catholic side of things, I I honestly don't engage. I haven't had anybody to engage with it. <laughs> so I just, I don't know. They're, they're going through a tough time with Pope Francis uh, being the, uh, Pope Francis being the uh, Pope, so they're going through a lot of... Yeah. They don't know what they believe right now. <laughs> oh, man. It, you know what? I think that if, if you're going to do it with a, a Calvinist, it's got to come down to justification. How's a man justified? But Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. I, Definitely. I said Calvinist. I, I, said, I meant Catholic. I, I, I knew what you meant. What you meant. <laughs> cool. Chris, I appreciate it, man. God bless you. I appreciate bless everything you, you're doing. And uh, right. we'll talk soon, man. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Yep. God bless. You too. Have a good one. Bye. All right, well, that'll wrap it up, guys. I really appreciate uh, those of you who are viewing and those of you who will view this later. Um, it, it's been good, man. I, I really appreciate Chris and his ministry. Like I said, he's doing a lot of good things. Um, and follow him if you don't. Uh, listen to his music. It, he, he puts out some good stuff out there. And I'll continue to support him any way I can. But anyways, God bless you guys, and have a great night. Talk to you later.